This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Why don't you turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. This goes into Ephesians chapter 1. This goes along with some scriptures that we've already looked at. I think it'll fit in here. Ephesians chapter 1 where it says that Paul is praying that we would know, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, he's not talking about raising him from physical death. He's talking about raising him from spiritual death. And set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, which also that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I like it better to say it this way, head to the church over all things. See, Jesus wasn't made head over all things. He was made head to the church or head of the church over all things. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Verse Chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, when you were quickened or made alive, were you made alive in body or in spirit? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says you were made alive just the same way Jesus was made alive. How were you made alive? If you want to know how Jesus was made alive, all you have to do is identify how you were made alive. Were you raised from the dead physically? Or made alive physically? No, you were already alive physically. Well, how were you made alive spiritually? If any man be in Christ... He is a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. What things? You don't get a new eye color. You don't get a new hairdo. What do you get? Spiritual things become new. You become a new spirit. So when you were quickened, you were made a new spirit, which means when Jesus was quickened, because it's using the same verb, same verb, same action, and you have the quickened. In other words, when he raised from Christ from the dead is the same verb that he's tying back into, and you have the quickened. So you were made alive the same way Jesus was made alive, which has to be spiritually, which means Jesus had to be spiritually dead. Now, spiritual death is defined as separation from God. That's what makes hell hell. It's not the flames that make hell the, the place you want to avoid. It's the fact that that's a characteristic or a byproduct of being separated from God. Are you out there? So that's the power that Jesus received when he was resurrected and said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Well, then what power did he have or what authority did he have while he was here? Jesus appears in Revelation chapter 1 talking to John and he said, behold, I am he that was alive. I am alive and was dead, but I live forevermore. He said, and I have the keys of hell and death. Jesus didn't have those when he was here. He has them now, but he didn't have them when he was here. That's what he stripped the devil of when he conquered him through his resurrection. He stripped the devil of the keys of hell and death. Now, what power or what's the difference in the authority or the position that he has now and what he had when he was here on the earth? Well, let's look at what the the, uh, 70 used in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus gave them authority to go into the cities before him. What did he tell them to do or what did they do that caused them to have Um, that that even the devils were subject unto them in in his name. They simply 
did what Jesus did, said what Jesus said to do, and that was it. We think of, uh, of people that walked around with Jesus here on the earth, and, and I think a lot of times we get, uh, um, well, we get stars in our eyes about Bible stories. Because we see things that people did, and we think, wow, man, when Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus, he must have had some kind of faith. Well, don't forget he sank. He did start off in faith, but he sank. And it's after that that Jesus upbraids him for his, for his unbelief and not accepting that he's going to the cross and going to be raised from the dead. We see people produce these miracles in the name of Jesus uh, or at God's will in the, in the, uh, the Old Testament, in many cases, and in the, the four Gospels. And we think, wow, they were really something. They didn't have what you have. They weren't even in the same class as you. They weren't saved. They didn't have a knowledge of God like you have a knowledge of God as far as what belongs to you because you're in Christ Jesus. They weren't in Christ Jesus. How could they know that? Then how did they get the results that they got? Most of the church I know would be, church people I know would be willing to settle for the, the, the disciples' results. Pre-salvation. How did they get those results, folks? It's very simple. They didn't go around with some inner strength. They didn't go around with some inner power. They didn't have any inner strength or inner power. They were always getting in trouble for not believing Jesus. Well, what did they do? They said what Jesus said. And then they did what they saw him do. That's it. That's what governs spiritual law. Yet instead, what we do is we listen to the devil's attacks. We listen to the devil's condemnation. We hear the devil say, well, you don't have what it takes. You need to believe more. So then what do we do? We try to believe more. That's like when people say, well, I prayed hard about that. I always wonder, what does that mean? Shut your eyes real tight and gritted your teeth and clenched your fist. What does that mean? I prayed hard. See, folks, we're so used to exerting physical energy. When spiritual force has nothing to do with physical energy. Natural law does, but spiritual law doesn't. Spiritual law doesn't. Let me show you an example. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we'll start reading in verse 16. It said, And there came to, it came to pass as we went to prayer that a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination, another translation is fortune telling, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying or fortune telling. The same followed Paul and us and cried, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which do show unto us the way of salvation. This did she many days. Please notice that. This did she many days. Now she's saying was right. Paul and his company are there to show them the way of salvation, to show the city of Ephesus the way of salvation. I'm sorry, not the city of Ephesus, the city of Philippi, the way of salvation. But God doesn't want the devil's advertisement, apparently. But she does this many days. Now, I don't know how many, many, I don't know how many, many is. But it's more than a few. So what does that mean? Does that mean she did it a week? Does that mean she did it a month? I don't know. But she did it long enough for the Holy Ghost to said many days. But then notice it says, but Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, the word hour can be is uh, translated once or used once. Same word is used in the scripture to mean instant. 
It means a period of time. Most often it's translated to mean an hour as in 60 minutes. But the, the word that's used, it could mean he came out right away. We don't know. But we have to assume that it was a quick result. Because Paul and his company were still there. It's not like Paul, as they were on the way to prayer, he commanded this evil spirit to come out of him and then stood there for an hour waiting for it to happen. They're being interrupted on their way to prayer. So anyway, it said it came out the same hour. Now let me ask you a question. Why wasn't Paul grieved on the first day? Clearly it's the authority that he used in the name of Jesus to set this little girl free. Why didn't he use it on day one? If it's Paul, if it's about Paul, and if it's about Paul's authority, why didn't Paul decide to use it on the first day? Surely Silas or one of his other co-workers there as a part of the company would have said, Paul, why don't you do something about that? Who in the group would have let this thing go on for many days if they had the ability to stop it at their own will? Now, some people will hear this and say, well, are you saying the authority of Jesus is not complete? No, I'm saying you don't, have all, you don't always have authority to use the name of Jesus to change something in somebody else's life. Remember what Jesus said to the 70, behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. In other words, what he's saying is you've been using my authority when you entered these other cities because I commissioned you to do it. But now I'm telling you that you have authority over the devil in every respect in your own life. Why didn't he say, behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy that you can use whenever you want to to keep doing the same work that I commissioned you to do? I don't know if you know this or not, but them going into the cities was a short-term mission trip. And they had a different authority on that short-term mission trip than they seemed to have when they came back and Jesus talked to them. Why? Because they were commissioned on the missions trip. Now the missions trip is over. So what authority does they have? Jesus said, you have authority over all the devil's power in your own life, always. Well, it wouldn't make sense that we'd have less authority than they would, does it? Because we have a greater position. And you hath he quickened. And has raised us up together with Christ to be seated in heavenly places. So you don't have less authority. You've got more authority. That's why the Bible says whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now I wish I could bind and loose in your life. If I could bind and loose in your life I could help you out a lot more than I can now. But I can't. Except in certain circumstances... As, as identified or used as an example in Acts chapter 16. Now I can tell you from my own experience what didn't happen. Paul didn't wake up on this final day, whatever this day was that he finally got grieved. He didn't wake up and say, you know, today I'm going to do something about that little girl. I'm going to cast the devil out. That's not the way it works. I can tell you from experience that this was a spur of the moment thing. It happened and the Holy Spirit moved upon Paul just like that and he turned around and said the evil spirit come out of her and he did so then i guess that begs this question how do you get the holy ghost to do it earlier man if anybody comes up with that answer i want to hear it 
Would it have changed the story? If this had happened on day one, would that have made the story any less spectacular? Not in my thinking. If it said, and, there, and, and this little girl met us. She was a fortune teller, and she met us. And she said this, and Paul immediately turned around and said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. That makes the story just as miraculous to me as it does as it is written. Wouldn't it you? So why many days? I don't have an answer for that. Nobody else does either. We can't determine when God moves on somebody to do something about the situation. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, beginning in verse 25, he said, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier and your messenger. The word messenger there is apostle. And your apostle. In other words... Apostle means sent one. In other words, what it's saying is God gave Epaphroditus something special for the Philippians that he didn't give him for the Ephesians or the Colossians or the Romans or anybody else. There are certain people that you're called to. There are certain situations that you're called to. There are certain works, ministry works that somebody is called to. This idea that I'm just a minister to the body of Christ. Well, praise you. Let's give God part of the glory. You know, I think a lot of times we get too high an opinion of ourselves. Epaphroditus was an apostle to the Philippians. He was an apostle to the Philippians. So was Paul, but Paul was also an apostle to the Corinthians. He said to the Corinthians, if I'm an apostle to anybody, I'm an apostle to you. Why? Why did he have to seem to have something more there than he had for somebody else? Well, the, what they're sent for, what Paul is sent for and what Epaphroditus is sent for are two different things. Paul is sent regarding the message. Epaphroditus is sent because God has laid these people on his heart. Are you out there? Okay, so he said, I'm sending to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in the Lord and fellow soldier, but your messenger or apostle and he that ministered to my wants. He's an apostle to you, but he ministers to my wants. He takes care of the things that I need. For he longed after you. Here's why I'm sending him, because you've heard about him. He longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. I want you to notice something, folks. Paul doesn't shy away from saying somebody was sick. Therefore, Paul's thorn couldn't have been sickness. Paul wouldn't have said this thing, this thorn in the flesh was sent to buffet me. He would have said, I was sick. 
There's no, there's no reason for him to say somebody else in his company was sick and him not to say that he was sick if he really was. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So he was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. He's at the point of death in other words. But God had mercy on him and not on him only but upon me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. In other words, don't think bad about him because he was sick. Well, then we shouldn't think bad about people who would get sick now. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. One translation says, having recklessly exposed his life to supply your lack of service toward me. In other words, he's saying he was at the point of death because he overworked himself. He was trying to do things to provide for me, meaning working to provide money for me, that you guys weren't doing your part to provide. So why was he sick? He was sick because he worked himself to death. Or worked himself to the point of death. Which tells you being called to the ministry doesn't give you a pass on having to take care of your body. Hello? See, you can't think that you're going to be strong enough in faith to supersede the, the, the natural process or principles of taking care of yourself and, and operating in a healthy manner. Brother Hagin said during the heathen revival, people got so goofy on the things they were believing for that sit down and eat like a horse and then try to cast out the calories from their body. Man, don't we wish that worked. I guess that's spiritual purging, you know. <laughs> People get goofy on things when they get out apart from the word. But notice the situation with Epaphroditus. He's at the point of death because he worked himself nearly to death. So that tells us what the cause is. How did he get well? Now, if this had been simply a matter of Epaphroditus' faith that brought him out of this, first of all, he's going to have to do some repenting for having abused his body. But if this had been a matter of Epaphroditus and his faith, don't you think Paul would have told him that so that he could hold them up in their eyes, in their esteem? Wouldn't Paul have said, and, but Epaphroditus' faith was strong and he pulled through? That would have made him think even better about the guy, wouldn't it? Which is what he's trying to do anyway. He's saying, hold him in high regard, hold him in reputation, think well of him. But he didn't credit his faith. So that tells me it must not have been a matter of his faith. Well then how did he get healed? It says by God's mercy. How did they obtain the mercy of God? You know what this says to me? It says Paul got got Epaphroditus healing through prayer. Because this affects him. I would have sorrow upon sorrow. I I don't want to have to bury one of my guys. So what's he doing? Well, one thing he's not doing is Paul's not exercising authority, saying, Epaphroditus, don't worry because you are with me. I am the guy. It's me and Jesus. So I just take authority over this sickness and command it to leave his body. That wouldn't have been God's mercy. So Paul would have misidentified what really happened. 
When he said it was the mercy of God, it tells me that it was not the authority that Paul had as an apostle and it was not the faith that Epaphroditus had as a believer. So it had to be something else. I assume that that's prayer. I could be wrong. There may be something else that I'm not considering. But we know that it wasn't authority. Why wasn't Paul able to exercise authority over his own ministry company to bring him back from death? Anybody know the answer to that? Because Paul didn't have that authority. That's the only possible explanation. Paul didn't have that authority. But you have absolute, according to Scripture, you have absolute authority over the devil in your own life. Now, that doesn't mean you can stop every attack that the devil brings. That's what I believe that that Paul's thorn in the flesh, the story about Paul's thorn in the flesh, is misinterpreted and misunderstood about in Scripture. Because what Paul is talking about is the devil is bringing persecution against me. Whether you know this or not, and I, I hope you learn this, Christ did not redeem you from persecution. In fact, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, which explains why most people are not persecuted. You'll get that later. Christ didn't redeem you from persecution. So Paul's thorn, the whole thing about Paul's thorn is not that I have authority over the devil that can stop him from bringing any attack that he wants to against me. The story is to tell you that even when he attacks, the devil can't steal your victory. You can still, by the finished work of Jesus, the grace of God, you can still operate in such a way so that you live in victory over the persecution or the attacks the enemy brings. Let me leave you with this, with this question. Does the church have power and authority over the devil's power that we don't know we have? In my opinion, unquestionably, yes. Now, here's how Paul talked about it. Paul referred not just to power of the devil, but power of the devil's system. To the Galatians, Galatians 3.13, he said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. To the Romans, he said, in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, he said, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made, made us free from the law of sin and death. So the curse of the law and the law of sin and death got to be the same thing. Got to be the same thing. Redemption is the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Those are spiritual laws, folks. There is a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, Satan's system. Now, to the Colossians, he said it this way. He said, God has made us able or meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, having delivered us from the power of darkness. He calls the law of the spirit of life, I'm sorry, he calls the law of sin and death the power of darkness. And he said, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What is the kingdom of his dear son? The spiritual law of the life of, spirit of life in Christ Jesus. To the Ephesians, he talked about being raised by the power of God far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named. I could go on and give you other examples, but the point is simply this. The revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus, seated with Christ in heavenly places, very simply means there's a system that has been defeated. There's a system, a world system that has been defeated. Now, let me leave you with this. I'm trying to tie up loose ends, so I may leave you with five different things at the end. I don't know. 
But remember when Jesus said, and you might have to turn to this because you might, we don't usually emphasize this. In Luke chapter 10, where the 70 come back and said, even the, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Then it goes on in the next verse and says, Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the devils are subject unto you, but that your names are written in heaven. Remember that? In other words, he's saying, don't make the major focus that you've got authority over the devil. Make the major focus the life that you have in me. Now, here's what the church has done with this. The church has taken that and ignored that we have authority over the devil and just focused solely on the fact that our names are written in heaven. But most Christians don't have a clue what your name written in heaven really means. They think that just means, well, we're forgiven from sin, but I guess we'll just have to suffer here on the earth till Jesus comes back. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus is not saying to ignore that you have authority over the devil. He's saying, don't make that the major point. In other words, the devil should be such a little problem for us that it's not even a major issue. Our authority over the devil should be exercised and utilized through our words, the seed from within, everything producing after its own kind, should be exercised by us in such a commonplace manner so that it's a side issue or a byproduct of the fact that our names are written in heaven. We're redeemed by the work of our Lord and Savior. How many Christians do you know that are living like that? As opposed to Christians that are talking about how much trouble they're having with the devil. Are you out there? Folks, your words are everything. Now, I wish I could tell you that it works magically. I wish I could tell you that you could read the scriptures one time and and start acting on it and it works. But that's not the way it works for me. There are things that I still have questions on. Not about authority in my own life. But even at that, even the exercise of authority in your own life doesn't mean you get instant results. There's still a standing of faith involved. And we're so accustomed to operating according to natural law, the things that we see and feel, that it takes a while for it to sink in and to retrain ourselves or, as Paul said, renew our minds to how things work spiritually. But there comes a point Where it settles down on the inside of you. Where you know that you know that you know. And if you through just sheer determination of will. Refuse to give up. Your stand of faith. Refuse to give up because God's word says so. And God's word cannot lie. Then you'll come to the place. Where you will exercise authority over the devil in every respect. Just as Jesus said. But it's up to you. But I know this. I know that spiritual laws are just as consistent and just as absolute as natural laws. In Luke 10, 19, Jesus gives us, his disciples, authority over all the work of the enemy. That authority was solidified when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. We have authority over the devil and all of his works, the work of sickness, the work of poverty, and the work of sin. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. If you took time to go through each and every one of these words and the meanings of them, you'd readily find out that's just about all the help you'd ever need in any area of life. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.